1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 in the New King James Version says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, some other translations say the elect exiles, I like that, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. So here we not just have mercy, but we have abundant mercy. We don't just have hope, but we have a living hope. I like that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved, everybody say reserved, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. So we've got a, we have abundant we have abundant mercy, we have living hope, we have great joy. I like that. I like where this is heading. Though now for a little while if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes through though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love though you do not now see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Now, when Peter says soul, he's not just talking about one dimension or the intangible part of who you are. The way they understood the soul back then, it meant the whole person. Total. All of you. God is going to save all of you. He's not just interested in the intangible part of you, your spirit, but he is interested in the physical part of you as well. God's going to save the whole thing. Amen? Amen. Verse 10, of this salvation, this whole, total salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand that the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which have now been reported. Everybody say reported. Which have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. I'm honored this morning to get to do what others have done for 2,000 years before me. I want to report to you what is reserved in heaven for you. This morning, this is just going to be a reservation report. There are some things reserved in heaven for you, and I want to report to you the good news. God is keeping an inheritance in heaven for you, and hear the word of the Lord. He's not just keeping an inheritance in heaven for you, but he's keeping you until you get there. He's keeping you until you get there. Let's give the Lord praise in this place right now. 
Lord, we magnify you and lift you up, Jesus. There is no one like you. There is no God beside you. And I lift up and exalt your name, Jesus, in this place. There's no one that can save us and keep us but you. If you believe that, why don't you say amen? amen. You may be seated. There's no denying it. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong inside of us. The world is broken. The world is decaying and the world is corrupt. Anyone living for God today, you're doing so in a sort of secular Babylon. The same thing that the generation of Daniel lived through, you are living through even yet today in the year 2023 in North America. Because in the world that we live in today, sin is normalized. What is wrong is often called right. And what is right and godly is looked down upon as backward and incorrect. When you are in Babylon as a person of faith, it means you are living in a setting where most people don't believe how you believe. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Most people don't value the things that you value. Most people don't live the way that you live or look the way that you look. And it means that because of those things, you're going to face trials. And there's going to be some persecution. And there's going to be opposition. Because you can't go with the flow like everybody else can. Somebody's hearing me right now, and you haven't even been born again of the water and of the Spirit yet, but you feel a witness to what I'm saying right now because you're not content with the way that the world is going, and you're looking for something greater. You're searching for something that is beyond what this world can offer you, and can I tell you what you're searching for? You're searching for Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that empty place inside of you that you can't seem to fill with anything else, that is the place that God wants to fill with his spirit in your life. Amen. You can't go with the flow like everybody else can. And there's some under the sound of my voice right now that although you may not have been born again of the water and of the spirit yet, you are tired of going with the flow of this world. You do not like the way that the world is going. And there's something inside of you. It is that conscience that God gave you that tells you that the way that the world is going, the way Babylon is behaving, isn't right and isn't for you anymore. Because God's spirit living inside of you when you're born again causes you to crave something else. And when you go a different direction from Babylon, when you start to defy Babylon and the secular agendas of this world, and you start to stand for something else, and you start to value some different things, and look different, and live different, and speak different, you're going to face opposition. You're going to feel that opposition. And in the middle of the secular Babylon of our day, there's still a salvation message. It's not time to lose hope and to look around and wring our hands and wonder how, is, how are things going to work out? Did God really anticipate any of this? How bad it would get? There is still a message of salvation today that's ringing forth through the streets of our secular Babylon. There's still a plan of God that he will save you and your family and your neighborhood and your co-workers. God can still work it out for you today. There's still a reservation kept for you in heaven today. And maybe today you feel like you're just barely holding on. God isn't just reserving a place for you, but he's keeping you for your inheritance. God will see you through. 
There is a salvation message. Peter sounded the call. He made the announcement in this letter that he wrote to the elect exiles, the pilgrims that were dispersed all over the then known world. He said, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, God in his abundant mercy has begotten us again. He's caused us to be born again, not just to a hope, but a living hope, an expectation that this world is not all that there is. And that there are some things reserved in heaven for you. You see, in Daniel's day, Babylon tried to take everything they could from that generation. When they arrived in Babylon, they stripped them away from their families. They tried to take away their identity. They gave them new names. They took away their vocations and the things that they'd hoped to do in their life. They changed their dietary choices. They told them where to live. They educated them in their subjects and their doctrines. Babylon wanted to steal their past. Babylon wanted to steal their present. Babylon wanted to steal their future. And they even tried to teach them new ways how to worship and what to worship. And Babylon may try to take everything from you today. But there is an inheritance waiting in heaven for you. You may feel the opposition of this world. You may be trying to stand for things that no one else in your school is standing for. No one else in your family are standing for. But hear me in the Holy Ghost this morning. There is an inheritance waiting in heaven for you that cannot and will not fade away or be corrupted. God himself is keeping it for you. This is a reservation Report. I'm preaching the same message that the Apostle Peter wrote to those elect exiles all those years ago. I'm just repeating it and echoing it into this generation today. You look around at the world today and there may be persecution and there may be opposition and resistance that you face. But there are things waiting for you in glory. And I want to report to you a few things today that God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And that God has a reservation, an inheritance in heaven reserved for you. And that God is keeping you for that inheritance. Hear the message from God for you today. God has made a way for you. You who feel like a resident in Babylon. God has made a way for you to pull away from all that is corrupt and decaying and wicked about this world. And lay hold of an eternal promise, eternal life that will never fade away. You may be a resident of Babylon today, but you are a citizen of another kingdom. Peter tells us how God has done it. He's done it through abundant mercy. And he's caused you to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you were born, when you entered into their faith back in those days, it was when you were from a different place and you were, you were grafted in to the Jewish religion as they knew it in the Old Testament. When you were grafted in, even if you were a grown person, Brother Walker, you came in as a newborn. You came in, everything that you had known before was wiped away and you came in brand new, born again to a living hope. 
The book of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose and he was going to be the firstborn among the dead, firstborn among many brothers. God was going to create a brand new family, a new nation, a new church that he was going to raise up from every nation and every tongue. And at the name of Jesus, every knee was going to bow and every tongue was going to confess that Jesus was Lord, born again to a living hope. What does the New Testament say about being born again? I want to explain it just for a few moments in your hearing today because I don't want to take for granted that maybe you understand it as clearly as the New Testament teaches it. When the scriptures say born again to a living hope, here's first thing is you need to understand that when Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, he was writing to a church, churches that were already established. These were people that had already experienced what he's describing. They'd already been born again of the water and of the spirit. So that's why Simon Peter, whenever he's writing this, he doesn't need to take a big uh, aside and explain everything that that means. He's able to just say it and everyone understands what it means and, and he goes on with it. But for the purposes of this morning, I want to tell you that being born again, like Peter writes about, means that you repent of your sins. And that when we repent of our sins and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, the scriptures say that he is faithful and just to forgive us. God will forgive you. It doesn't matter how big it is. And it doesn't matter how long ago it was. And it doesn't matter how condemned you feel over it or how, shame you, how much shame or guilt you feel over it. God is able to forgive it and God will forgive it. And when you repent of your sins... And God forgives you of your sins. It opens up the door to the rest of the new birth experience, which is being born again of the water and of the spirit. You must be born again, Jesus said in John chapter 3. This is a non-negotiable. This, is some, this wasn't an optional accessory that you could add on like, uh, like a sunroof on a car. It was just one of those things that you could decide, you know, do I want the power windows? Do I want the sunroof? It wasn't like that. Jesus said, you must be born again. And unless you were born again of the water and of the spirit, you would not enter into or even see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again of the water? That's when we are baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission, the total forgiveness, the washing away of your sin. And what does it mean to be baptized? To be baptized means not to be sprinkled, not to have something poured over the top of you, but to be completely immersed in the water. When they used that word in scripture, it only had one meaning. And it meant to be completely immersed under the water and brought back up. That's what being baptized meant. And to, to say that being baptized means something else, like having something poured over you or having something sprinkled over you, is either just a misunderstanding that needs to be corrected or... You're stretching the word beyond its limits. That word doesn't mean any of those things. That word means to be completely immersed in the water. And the scripture says that you needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's the way that the apostles did it in Acts chapter 2. That's the way they did it all the way through the book of Acts. And that's the way we do it today. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And then it says when those things have happened, there's going to be an outpouring of God's spirit on your life. The Bible calls it the promise of the Father. 
It's for everybody. God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. No longer, it wasn't going to matter what family you were from. It didn't matter what part of the world you came from, what your skin color was, what language you spoke. None of those things mattered anymore. The only thing that mattered is, have you repented of your sins, and God will fill you with the gift of his spirit. It's a promise, and it's a gift. It's something God will do for you. And when you've been born again of the water and of the spirit, that's when God does something in your life and takes you to a place where you have a different position and status with God. You're right with God. You're right with God when you've been born again of the water. and of the... Now, they understood that in 1 Peter. That's what they understood Peter to mean when he said, you've been, he, by the abundant mercy of God, we've been born again to a living hope. And when you've been born again to a living, when you've experienced what I've just described, the scripture goes on. Simon Peter says, this is what's happened to us. And because of that happening, even though we live in a secular, even though we have opposition, even though we may live in a Babylon of sorts today there is joy in the midst of those trials and those troubles hear me today when a good report comes across the wire there is joy that sweeps over you he says in this in this we greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith may be tried and tested and it's going to be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you've not seen, but you love. And though you don't see him, you yet believe. And with joy unspeakable and full of glory, you're able to live for God. And you're able to receive the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. I haven't seen Jesus yet, but I love him. I haven't seen Satan bound and thrown into a bottomless pit yet, but I know he's headed there. I may still face some things in life and have some tears in my eyes and have affliction in my body, but I'm headed to a city where every tear is going to be wiped away and there's not going to be any more disease. And in the meantime, I'm going to live with joy unspeakable and full of glory because I know and you know just like the old Job knew in the Old Testament Job says he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me I shall come forth as gold you see your joy doesn't depend on your circumstance your joy doesn't depend on how well things are going in your life or how bad things are. You can be one of the elect exiles. You can be living in hostile territory just like the original recipients of this letter were. Although you can be grieved by various trials and tested by fire and still possess great joy. You know, I wasn't going to go there, but I just can't help myself. I talked about how this is connected to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, there's these three guys. You probably, you might know the story. Nebuchadnezzar has built this big old golden image. It's like 90 cubits tall. It's made out of gold. And he has issued a decree that everyone is going to bow down to this thing when they hear the music play. 
and everyone's bowing down and doing exactly what they're told. But there in Babylon, there's three fellas that particular day. That they're not having it. They're not going to bow down. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not going to do it. Word gets back to the king that there's these guys that aren't bowing down, and the king's upset about it. He has them brought before him. He says, guys, is it true? Is it true that you're not going to bow down to this image and worship it? And here's what they said. Daniel chapter 3, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, listen, they were facing some persecution. Because you know what the stakes were? But the army, bow down or get tossed into this fiery furnace. Brothers and sisters, that's more than just a Bible story. There was a literal burning, fiery furnace. I know, that's, I know that's not the way we conduct capital punishment today. But back then, it was open season. They did things all kinds of ways. Fact is, to get thrown into the burning fiery furnace, while very unpleasant, was on the better end of things as far as how to go back then. There was a literal burning fiery furnace, and the conditions were, if you do not bow down, to this golden image and worship it when the music starts playing. We're going to heat that thing up and we're going to toss you guys into it. Now you talk about some opposition. You talk about various kinds, grieved by various kinds of trials. Do you see the imagery Peter's using? He says, you're going to be grieved by various kinds of trials and you're going to be tested by fire. You see how he's calling us back to some of the messages of Daniel? He's, he's thinking of Daniel. He's thinking of these three guys when he's writing this letter. And no doubt, the people reading his letter are making those connections too. And they're remembering, we're living in Rome today, and the emperor doesn't like us, and the emperor's persecuting us, and they're going door to door looking for Christians. But we have some spiritual ancestors that they lived in Babylon all those years ago, and they stood for some things that no one else wanted to stand for. And God saw them through. The three Hebrew boys, they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need that we answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you're really going to throw us into that burning, fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, now first of all, that, brothers and sisters, is Old Testament faith. That's the real thing. If you were ever looking for a case study in the real thing, that's it. God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and God is going to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, we still aren't going to bow. We still won't bow down to this golden image. We're still not going to swallow the agenda of Babylon. We aren't going to do it. We're not going to dance to that music. We're not going to sing that song. We're not going to bow down to that idol. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to speak that way. I'm not going to vote that way. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to dress that way. I'm not doing it, Nebuchadnezzar. And you can do whatever you want to me. But my God is able to see me through. And if not, 
I'm still not going to do it because there is something reserved in heaven for me and God is going to keep me and save me until that day. And if I have to get there through a burning, fiery furnace in Babylon, then so be it. But I'm going to be faithful to God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, I just got fired up about that. But do you know why? Do you know what fuels that? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Come on, whenever we get a revelation of everything God has, we've been born again to a living hope. And when you get a revelation of what is reserved in heaven for you, it's going to produce joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when you possess that, it doesn't matter if there's a burning, fiery furnace. God's going to see you through. You're going to be able to stand when everybody else is bowing. Come on, somebody get with me this morning and understand this is how God is going to keep you because he's going to produce something in you that is unspeakable and inexpressible. It's something that the world can't give and the world can't take away. Praise be to God. Come on, I have great joy. You're going to be grieved. I know. I know in the room this morning we had time of prayer. I know that we're being grieved with various kinds of trials. I would never want to diminish any of those things and pretend like they aren't real. I know they're present in the room even right now that there's trials and tribulations and afflictions and opposition that we're facing. But hear me, brothers and sisters, there's one thing that supersedes all of that and tips the scale the other direction. It's what God has done in you and in me, and it's producing joy. And I'm able to have joy because I know in the midst of every trial and every tribulation and every affliction that God is working it out. He's working it out. God sees the end from the beginning. God knows exactly where you are. And He's working it out. He's Here, the salvation of your soul, that all of you, He's working it all out. All of it. All of it. God is saving and he's working it out. If it's your sin, he's working it out. He's able to forgive it today. If your health has you troubled, he's working it out. If your finances are lacking, he's working it out. If your family is against you, he's working it out. If you're grieved by various kinds of trials today, hear me in the Holy Ghost, he's working it out. Don't let that kill your joy. Don't let it diminish what God is doing in your life. Get that joy unspeakable and full of glory and stand when everybody else is bowing and see what God might do in your life. Here to report to you today that same message that encouraged the church all those 2,000 years ago when they were persecuted in Nero's Rome. They're going door to door. That same message that Daniel and those and his friends stood for in Babylon all those thousands of years prior to that can encourage your spirit today. Lift up your eyes and give you the vision for your life because I'm here to report to you that you have a reservation kept for you in heaven. God's working it out. Let me read the last few scriptures of this passage to you. 
in the New Living Translation. Verse 10, the Apostle Peter writes and says, this salvation, that's what he's been writing about. I, sometimes the beginnings of these books, they, 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 they talk about this stuff and, and they're really, they really stop and pause on what God has done in salvation. And I'm here to tell you, I, I haven't gotten over it yet. I'm grateful to be saved. I'm grateful to be born again. I still thank God every day that he's done, that he did a work in me and he's continuing to do a work in me. I haven't gotten over the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not ancient history for me, but it's something that's alive and active. And I give God praise for his spirit that dwells in. It wasn't just a visitation, but it was an indwelling presence of God. I haven't gotten over it. Simon Peter, he says, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. The prophets, they wondered, Peter said, they wondered about what time or what place the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about whenever they would prophesy about a Messiah who would come. The prophets desired to know more about what they were prophesying about. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but were for you. And now this good news has been announced. It's been reported to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Ghost sent from heaven. And it is all so wonderful Peter says, it's all of this, this salvation, everything God is working out, it's so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I just think that whenever we worship like we have been this morning, that there's angels, there's an angelic presence that meets us in this. Do you believe that? I believe that there's angels that gather around this property and in this room even and in your homes whenever you do it at home. And I think there's angels that gather around and they start to look into. I think when somebody comes up to one of these altars or one of these stairs or kneels down in the place where they're at and they start to repent of their sins and they start to try to make things right with God according to God's plan of salvation. I just believe there's angels. I believe there's, because the scripture says that these things the angels desire to look into. I think, Sister Tuttle, that there's some angels that start looking when somebody gets into that tank of water and they get baptized in the name of, when, when the name of Jesus is called over them, the angels look in wonder. Because they see that God is working it out. When God does a miracle in your life, when God turns around your health or turns around your finances or starts to put your relationships back together, I just believe that there's angels present for those things because these are the things God is working out that the angels desire to look into. It's God saying here through the Apostle Peter, he's saying this, elect exiles, dispersed all through the world, pilgrims living in a strange land, 
You may feel persecuted. You may feel like you're in the minority. You may, may feel like you have to go underground with your faith sometimes. You may feel like you're not the most popular person at your workplace or in your family. But you are more privileged than the Old Testament prophets. You are more privileged than the angels in heaven. I know that because Daniel, I'll go back to Daniel again, Daniel chapter 8. Daniel's having a vision, and he says, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one, talking about angels, that said to him, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice? How The angels talking to one another, seeing a vision of the things to come, and the angels seeing it prophetically. But wondering and asking among themselves in the hearing and vision of Daniel. How long is it going to be? How's all of this going to work? I'm telling you today. What God is working out in your life is supernatural. And the angels have desired to look into it. Jesus confirmed as much in Luke chapter 10. He himself said. I tell you that many prophets and kings of old have desired to see what you see. And have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. Paul wrote to Timothy, he confirmed the very same truth, that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The musicians would come. To the elect exiles in Babylon. I want to tell you this morning that God is up to something. I don't know what's going on in your world. We've experienced the power of God here in this sanctuary this morning. And when God's spirit starts to move in the manner in which it did earlier this morning. And in the manner in which it's going to continue to move throughout the course of this entire day. You need to be sure to not disengage, but to step into what God is doing. Because in the middle of your Babylon, in the middle of the confusion of this world, in the middle of the pain and the hurt, in the middle of the affliction, in the middle of the various kinds of trials that you might be undergoing and seeing happen in your world, if you will respond in faith to what God is doing, that same Spirit of God that worked the miraculous in Simon Peter's generation is able to to work the miraculous in your life. If you've never been born again of the water and of the spirit, it's an experience that you need to have today. God is up to something. God is already working and moving on your behalf, and God is doing something so great that the angels in heaven desire to look into it. I would never want to dismiss what you're those various kinds of trials that might be grieving your life. But my whole point this morning is to point you toward an inheritance that's waiting for you in glory. I know that the trials of life are real. I know that there's things we become anxious about and there's things we worry over and there's obligations that we need to fulfill. But I want to echo what the Apostle Peter wrote all those centuries ago. And I want us in faith this morning as we all stand to allow it to reframe our understanding of who we are. Hear me this morning. Babylon wants to steal your identity. 
Babylon wants to do things in your life and diminish who you are. Babylon wants possession of your past, your present, your future. It wants everything that it can take from you. It wants your family. But the Apostle Peter is writing a living word to you and me today. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, it's time to reframe everything you think you know about the world and what God is doing. God is not absent, but God is working it out. He's doing things that the old prophets desired to look into and things that angels are curious about. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is a reservation report this morning. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? There's abundant grace and abundant mercy in this building right now. These altars are open, and I would that somebody would step out from where they are. And the-